Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. Tonight, I'm going to be featuring some great music and fascinating stories about Minnesota's legendary pop rock duo, Johnson & Drake. They are currently releasing a handful of records that they recorded in the early 70s. We are going to talk with Guy Drake about their music, touring with Jim Croce, the records, and other things. Guy, I met... Oh, I'm guessing about 20-some years ago through our mutual friend, actor-musician Chris Mulkey. And uh, I knew he was in Johnson & Drake, but I didn't know much about him. So right from the horse's mouth tonight, we are going to be talking to the deacon, Guy Drake. Guy, how are you tonight? I'm great, Paul. It's great. It's always good to talk to you. You know how that is. Yes, it sure is. Now... We will be talking about you are, in fact, a deacon in the Episcopal Church. You're going to tell me how you passed the background check on that. But before we get to that guy, <laughs> tell us. Tell us. The whole story of Jesus is about forgiveness, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm going to take your word for it, and I do believe that myself. <laughs> guy. It's redemption, redemption, my friend. That's friends. what it's all about. That's why I go to a church every Easter religiously, as it were. Guy, <laughs> when I heard about, I was kind of hip to the uh, Minneapolis music scene in the early 70s while I was uh, coming of age on the Iron Range, and I heard about Johnson & Drake. I always assumed you guys were folkies of some sort, but listening to this music, I mean, it's not that uh, you're just a stone's throw away from, from Steely Dan. It's, it's very pop rock, almost... Dan Fogelberg in a way. Yeah, yeah, it was, um, you know, I just, I think people sometimes have that perception of us because some of the songs that people liked the most that we wrote, of course, were the ballads. And, um, but we were, you know, we made our whole living being the opening act. We were on the road. And we just toured with band after band after band. So name and, some, name some guy. Oh, well, let's see. Okay. Um, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Wow. Dr. Hook and the Medicine Show. Um, uh, Ario Speedwagon. Jim Croce. Linda Ronstadt. Um, uh, uh, Lobo. Um, let's see. Who, who am I? I just have to go to the different... A, a, great, a great band that we gig with all the time back in those days called um, uh, uh, well they became the Talbot Brothers they eventually uh, became the Talbot Brothers big Christian uh, band Terry and Michael Talbot and um, I, now, I'm, now I'm forgetting the name of, their, of the band uh, Mason Prophet Mason Prophet yes I remember oh, that yeah, we, yeah and, and, and we did a long West Coast tour that was just Absolutely unbelievable! One of the great experiences of my life um, on a bus with an Australian rock and roll band called Daddy Cool. Hmm. They were the number one, the number one band in Australia, and they were trying to make it into the U.S. market. And uh, we just had a ball with those guys. So we were, you know, we were just always on the road. And to go, circle back to your original question about folkies, if you're the opening act, you have to know how to boogie because that's the only reason 
half the people we were playing colleges so everybody comes to the to the show to boogie that's all they want they don't care you know about the opening act but they don't want to hear two guys warbling up there you know <laughs> <laughs> they want to, they want to hear they, they want to rock out um, until the until the main act comes up we, it didn't take us too long to figure that out right right yeah. Who, who was booking you back then? I mean, how did you go from basically not playing a lot of clubs or coffee houses and boom, you're right uh, on the opening act college circuit? Yeah, well, it was it was this it was this agency that was based in the Twin Cities. Um, it uh, went by a couple names, but Variety Theater, Variety Artists, and they had a, a real lock on the college concert booking market they knew every college senior in the midwest who was that year was the was the, the head of the booking committee the booking. yeah yeah i get charge it. of the booking is at that little college you know and so we they just would what they would do is they would buy a tour let's say with jim croce and so that would mean they would buy like 12 dates or 15 dates and they would pay in advance for that and then they would sell it. Interesting. You know, they, would, they would they would just say, "Okay, we got Jim Croce from July first to August first. Um, we got him for fifteen nights. Um, everybody go to work." And they had this whole staff of salespeople who would then that book that tour. And we were we were um, actually managed by that same company, so they would just put us on the as the opening act all the time, you know. Great. So then they could make 15% booking and then 15% managing. Yeah, you know, I didn't get <laughs> back then. But I, I, I remember the day that I figured that out. I was probably, you know, about 50. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a rock and roller, man. You know, we don't do the book. Right, right. Now, so, there was before we listened to a song called Slow Boat, and you can tell us about that and what record that was on. There, uh, You were touring with uh, Jim Croce right around the time he uh, was in that fatal plane crash, and I believe you lost uh, one of your compatriots in that crash. Yeah, we were touring with We were actually supposed to be on that plane. We had been wow. touring with him for a period of about four weeks, I would say, roughly. And um, our record label was releasing the Carry It On album, which we're going to talk about in a minute. And they, um, at the very last minute, decided they didn't like the cover photograph and wanted to fly us back to the Twin Cities to um, to reshoot the album photograph. And they just pulled us off the tour for two days. And um, and so we're sitting in the record in the photo studio in the middle of the night, you know. And um, taking pictures for the album cover, and the radio comes on and says, uh, rock star Jim Croce was killed tonight. Wow. And uh, we were supposed to have been with him in Natchitoches, Louisiana. And um, and we uh, they because they wanted us to, to do these album photographs, they flew in a... a they were going to... Fl- it's kind of a long story, but they flew somebody in from L.A. to cover the date. Mm-hmm. A comedian by the name of George Stevens, and um, and they um, the, the plane went down at the end of the runway in Natchitoches. 
Wow. And our road manager was on the plane. Our, our close friend, Kenny Cortese, who also worked for Variety Theater. And um, he was one of our very best friends. And he had stayed with the tour because we were only leaving for two days. There was, you know, and you can always use another roadie, right? Right. And um, so he just he just stayed on the on the tour with the people that Jim had working with him, and um, and they were all killed. Everybody wow. on the on, on the plane. We knew everybody on that plane except the pilot and a guy who flew in to replace us. So, ah, yeah, you know. Well, tell us a little yeah. bit about uh, uh, before. We get to your song, Slobo. Tell us uh, what kind of a guy Jim Croce was. Oh, he was the best. He was absolutely the best. He was just, uh, you know, when you're um, when you're out on the road day after day after day covering for different bands, you get treated different ways by different people. Some of the big, real egotistical stars, you know, they uh, they treat the opening act like they're just a bunch of you know nobodies and right uh and and you you know it's just but then then uh, the real people out there they're not that far removed from having been the opening act. right right right, you know, right it was like the year before they were the opening act and this year they happened to land two top 40 hits and wow i'm a headliner you know right so they kind of get that and that's how croce was he was I remember the first night we met him, and and he was like, "Well, so you know, what's the story on you guys? You know, how are you doing? Where have you, where have you been? Who are you working with?" You know, and you just go, "Wow," um, because uh, most of them didn't. You know, I mean, a lot a lot of people just weren't that personable. And we would have breakfast together, and uh, he 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 worked with a partner, Maury Mulizen, great guitar and player. They, they, oh God, he was just a genius. You yeah. Know? We wouldn't even we would we would finish our set and then we would just go and stand on the edge of the stage and watch their set. Wow, you know, that's not something you do real often when you're touring. You just want to get out of there, and get back to know? the hotel. But, we've got. But uh, it was just to hear him play. We've got Guy Drake on for the whole show tonight. We're going to listen to a song his uh, that he did with his partner Tom Johnson and Johnson and Drake called "Slow Boat." Then we'll take a break and be back and, and talk about that song and listen to some more on the Wall and Power Radio Hour. Oh, Patricia, my love. Welcome back to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is the second set. I'm your host, Paul Metzen, talking to my friend, Guy Drake, who's re-releasing several records recorded back in the early 70s with 
is duo Johnson and Drake. At the end of that first set, uh, guy, we listened to Slow Boat. Who was, uh, what record was that on, and who was the players on that? Well, that was the album um, that we released in 1973, Carry It On. Okay. And we're just, we're just re-releasing a completely remastered version of that in stereo. The original album was released in Quad. Wow. Uh, do you remember Quad, Paul? I, well, yes, yes, I, <laughs> yeah. I do. Of course, back then, in the, uh, but, back in the early 70s, guy, everything kind of sounded Quad to me, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that was I can my, relate. my thing, you know? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> um, but um, the... Uh, we um uh, we we got the rights back to that album uh to a stereo we had done a stereo mix of it on our own just because we wanted to hear how it sounded you know in stereo and then that was that and then we um we thought it was lost wow. uh, that that particular mix because the the storage place where we had it uh, threw out all the tapes that they had in storage <laughs> That's a good idea. And uh, well, yeah, yeah, that was smart, wasn't it? And uh, why not just throw away all your assets? Yeah, right? there was. I, I heard that some of the blood on the tracks tracks were in that. Wow. Um, but anyway, um, the, the what what ended up happening was that um, we were able to to get the rights to this stereo mix, and and the guys who played on it were just like a who's who of Minneapolis greats. You Let's know, talk with, about uh, them. Well, it was Billy Peterson on bass, um, Bill Berg on drums. Bill Berg was just a giant, and then he went on, and because he just he, you know, being just a brilliant drummer wasn't enough for him. He was also a brilliant animator, and he ended up going out and going to work for Disney, and he had this huge long career as an animator for Disney, doing movies like. Beauty and the Beast and all that stuff. And plus, and uh, he's still around. And of he's course, Billy. Around. Yeah, Billy and, Peterson yeah. and Bill Berg were both the rhythm section on the five songs that Bob Dylan re-recorded right. in Minneapolis that ended up on Blood in the Tracks. Yeah, well, you know where they, you know how Bob Dylan got those guys to be in his band. He was recording in the studio across the hall from us, mm -hmm. and they heard they heard the tracks that we were doing, and they said, you know, who's that drummer? You know, who's that bass player? Of course, they didn't want to know who the artists were. <laughs> right. But, uh, but anyway, boom, boom, off go Billy and, and Billy, and, and that was that. Was that. We, they weren't in the Luckily, we were done with most of our work at that point. <laughs> yeah, so you were, um, and I think David Zimmerman had a little bit to do with that, too, because he worked with both those guys. But uh, so that record came out now who what label was the uh, you recorded at sound 80 the incredible yep. legendary sound studio in minneapolis but what label did the record come out on it came out on ovation records out okay. of chicago okay yep. and uh ovation was mo known mostly for their soul collection they had a they had a subsidiary called black jazz and they had uh willie dixon was on that label wow. and um. Oh gosh! Right now, I'm Jeff, a guy by the name of Jeffrey Stoner, who had a lot of um, kind of midwestern soul hits, and um, and but they also had uh, some uh, kind of almost folk artists like Bonnie Kolak. Sure, uh, you remember her? Yeah, and uh, and um, 
you know, just just kind of ver- various other people. But and then and then they sold that label to this to this label in uh, New York City, and we didn't know anything about that until about fifty years later. <laughs> <laughs> well, better late than never, guy. Right, right. It was um, 2017, and we were uh, we started getting all these phone calls from our friends and, and relatives telling us that our music was in the NFL playoffs. Wow. And um, it turned out that Samsung had bought one of our songs from the label that bought Ovation. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and, uh, and, and they used it in a, in a commercial that ran all the way through the 2017 playoffs. Fantastic. And, and that, and so it kind of, that sort of, that sort of financed the rebirth of Johnson and Drake. Yeah. Well, good. well I'm, I'm yeah. so, uh, you know, I love my music history. I love my uh, Minnesota fellow artist, but, uh, I just love this, bring these tracks back from the past 50 years later. And I was listening to, some last night and then when you and I were first chatting a while ago about setting up this interview and the stuff is number one uh, the fidelity on it is really good it's sonically it, it's it's really solid but it's really kind of up to date even in terms of the arrangement although it's got that early 70s like I said Steely Dan vibe but really it sounds like some of it could have been recorded yesterday oh man you just made my night <laughs> that you just made my Saturday night right there. That was it. Now, yeah. can I, can I tell so, you couldn't have said anything that would make me happier. We put, you know, those tapes were 50 years. We, we found the tapes in an attic closet. Wow. And they had been sitting up there for, for 45 years. And, uh, and we found it. It's like, Oh my God, it's our, it's our stereo mix. We wow. still got it. We thought it had been lost for five decades. And so we, um, we who, spent who, about... Who's we attic? We spent all of the money that we got from Samsung. We spent restoring those tapes. And my son, my son Rusty, led the whole audio. Um, he's a producer, and he, he led that whole development of, of it. But they all had to be cleaned up. I mean... There was, they were just in pieces, some of them, you know. Guy, how can people uh, buy this music now? Okay, two of our albums, um, the Carry It On Remastered Stereo, you can buy, you can download anywhere right now, whether it's, you know, iTunes or Spotify or whatever, it's just out there. And then there's another album that's just called Johnson and Drake. And that was actually an album we recorded in the 80s, in the early 80s. And uh, that one is also available on Spotify. And I think we were going to maybe listen to one or two of the songs from that one. And then we have a, um, uh, a third album coming out next month. And this was an album that we recorded as the follow-up for Carry It On. And it, it um, just due to 8 million different you know, mostly business-related things that never came out. And we were able to, um, we thought that was lost also, and we found it and restored it. And that was coming out, it's called Migration. This, that'll be coming out in, we're in talking to, We're talking to Guy Drake. We're going to listen to a Johnson & Drake song, song called Me and Me. Be back with uh, 
Professor Drake for the rest of the evening on Walpole Radio. This I'll tell you, this you got to know. It's so hard to let my feelings show. Wish I had the words, wish I had the phrase. There ain't any way to explain how you make my days. legendary folk pop duo Johnson and Drake. We've got Guy Drake on. Guy, tell us about Gone City. Well, we had this was off of our album that um, it's the eponymous album, Johnson and Drake, from from um, the mid-80s and uh, early 80s. And we had um, just wanted to, we were working with a producer by the name of uh, uh, Paul, uh, Paul Martinson, and he he was he was really encouraging us to be um, um, to just let loose, you know, and really have fun with it. And well, he was the guy. He, let me it. let me just jump in here a little bit. Paul Martinson was the guy that did all the recording on Bob Dylan's "Blood on the Tracks" Minneapolis sessions. Legendary studio guy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And he um, he had a very quiet demeanor, but he could really push you. And um, he, I, uh, I sang the lead vocal on that song, and I remember him saying, "Come on, come on, you can do more. Come on, down, come on, you can do more. You can do more. You can do more." And he, and and then finally, I, I, I just let loose on that song. But uh, who are great, the other- great lead guitar work by um, uh, Jeff Bouchier on that song, and um, it's it's sort of it sounds almost like a. Uh, well, I, I don't know. It's just, it's just like a, kind of a tribute to to just good old rock and roll, you know. Now, how did you meet uh, Tom Johnson, Guy Drake? 
we met in school. We okay. were in the same high school together. And at that time, we were both doing a lot of theater. And we were, that's, uh, that, that was kind of the start for both of us. We were at Shanhassen and, and Dudley Riggs and Theater in the Round and all these different places acting. What high school and did you guys we, go to? We went to Edina. Okay. And we, um, um, we, we became good friends during that time. We started writing music together. Um, we ended up living in the same building at the University of Minnesota. I was, Tom was downstairs and I was upstairs um, when we graduated. And, um, and that was when we really just started writing a lot of music together. We'd written some music in high school, but it was there that we um, just started writing and writing and writing and writing. And, and, um, uh, and then eventually one thing led to another and a couple of concerts and an offer to do some recording. And all of a sudden, the next thing we knew, we were on the road. Wow. So how old <laughs> you know? are you guys, like 20, 21, something like that? Yeah, no, I'm I'm older than twenty one now. It's we know like, oh, that. <laughs> how, oh, how old were we? Yeah, uh, yeah, no, we were. Yeah, uh, well, the year, yeah, twenty one was the okay. year that uh, uh, Carry It On was released. I turned twenty one that year. Now, can I and use... that was the same year I got married, and I'm still married. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Anyway. It, until Nan comes home and realize while she was on the road. You sold most of her used books, but let's not uh, say that over the air. <laughs> I can't believe you gave that away. <laughs> she Man, was going to find out. With anything. She's got cameras in the house, I'm sure, keeping an eye on you. So, Guy, tell us about you had some, when we first met uh, through our friend uh, Chris Mulkey, you and I started talking about Dudley Briggs because my first job when I moved to Minneapolis was I sold tickets at Dudley Riggs, et cetera, on Seven Corners. And what was oh, your yeah. experience at Dudley Riggs? What were you doing? I started working at Dudley's when I was 16 years old. They started something called the Under Subcommittee, which was they just wanted an opportunity for younger people to have a, a chance to do improv. And uh, it was led by a guy named Irv Latosky, legendary journalist with the... Um, Star Trib, and then eventually with the L.A. Times, and and um, we uh, and, and and so I, we would do these. Uh, it was it was kind of like a, I guess you could say an apprenticeship. You might think of it's like a, you know a teenager being an apprentice at a at an improv comedy shop, but then eventually, of course, as I got older and went to college and everything else and so on, then I got um, put just into the regular company. And, um, but I developed some of my closest lifelong friends like Pat Croft and Tom Sherman and, and certainly Dudley, the late great. Yeah. We were, we, uh, we had lunch together, just, we had lunch together scheduled just a, a, a very, very short time before he passed. But he, um, he was just, this might just this great mentor for me and such a wonderful human being and and um yeah that whole connection and, and tom was in the company too that was so you, you don't very often have rock and rollers that are also improv comedians right so we were yeah we were in that in that together actually 
Well, although some people have referred to me as a sit-down comedian, but uh, but I digress. <laughs> but I digress. Okay. So At now, least you're not a lay-down comedian. Yeah. <laughs> now, Guy Drake, you've had really an interesting life. You've you've uh, uh, theatrical beginnings, kind of in a way. Dudley Briggs, Adina High School, uh, folk right. rock, writing songs. Then you did some serious time with uh, Dale Carnegie, teaching uh, the Dale Carnegie course, Power of Positive Thinking. And then about 10 years ago, you became an Episcopal deacon. Tell us about that yeah. journey. Tell us about what. Uh, how did you decide to do that? Well, it was... It, um, okay, I had always been really involved in stuff at our church that involved outreach. So if we were feeding the homeless or if we were building a Habitat for Humanity or we were, you know, um, doing doing anything out in the community, I I would volunteer for all those things. That's what I liked to do. I didn't want to be on a committee or something. I, yeah. I'd rather go and, you know, I'd rather go out there and swing a hammer or do something like that. And, um, and then I... Um, I've always been, I've just been kind of, my whole life been hooked on um, learning and studying and all that kind of stuff. And I would take every, um, uh, you know, as I could fit it in with my work with Dale Carnegie, um, I I, I would take every semester of of course, a seminary course, just, you know, to kind of stay in the mix. And then I and I did that for several years, and then um, I, one one spring I got this this letter in the mail that said you've now uh, attended enough seven you know seminary classes and you're getting ordained in June. <laughs> wow! <laughs> you know? It was like wow. <laughs> it was just it was something I had been doing for so long. You know, it, it was I was not um, you know charging after it and right. trying to get it done as quick as I could. It was nothing like that. I just, I just loved, uh, and, and, and I'm a kind of a history buff. So I was anything they ever had on, on the history of the old Testament or the history of the new Testament or, or, um, you know, old Testament history. Mm-hmm. I just would gobble that stuff up and, and, uh, just for fun. And so, Anyhow, I ended up getting ordained in in 2013, and then um, ever since then, I've been at St. David's Episcopal Church in Minnetonka as their as their deacon. Wow. So uh, we used to be, you know, I used to go to church every Sunday. Now I go online every Sunday. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. We, well, I talk about an interesting experience trying to trying to pivot an entire congregation. You know, during during the pandemic, it, all of those years of leadership courses I taught at Dale Carnegie really came in handy. <laughs> <laughs> those, those Zoom confessions must be a trip. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. But but I tell you, I have to. I I got to tell you this. It, it, um, it in the Episcopal Church, you have deacons, priests, and uh, bishops. And uh, and the and the deacon can do, you know, almost everything that a priest can do, but but the but the one thing they can do is they can't do absolutions. So 
I always tell people as much as I would love to hear your confession, <laughs> I can't absolve you for your sins, so it's a waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of good you are, Drake. <laughs> yeah, you got you got to have a priest to do that. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I'll still listen, man, if you want to just, like, practice. <laughs> wow. Now, did over the years, this 50-year period from the time you guys recorded these records till the time you rediscover them, was there any music in your life where you're performing at all? Was, or are you just doing your other thing? I, I, I was involved in lots and lots of um, church music and, you know, and that kind of thing. And, and um, we, Tom, both Tom and I moved around a lot. So we ended up in different parts of the country on the West Coast, in Illinois, in Nebraska, in Minnesota. But we always sort of kept, you know, that, 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 connection um but it was uh it's it's really been just recently where we've we've um regrouped and we all we were really going to do to regroup was recapture all of our old recordings we were so grateful that we had found them and that all of these performances were preserved uh but we ended up starting to write again (laughs) and tom tom is like a maniac he's a He's written seventy new songs just in the in the year in the, in the year since we've been working on this, which is since uh, twenty seventeen. That's a lot of songs. That's a lot and of songs. I, I'm supposed to write the words to them, and uh, you know, I'm like, would you please stop writing songs? Because if you think <laughs> I can come up with this many ideas for lyrics, you're crazy. Okay. Yeah. Well, I remember when but, someone asked Paul Simon once. What do you write first, the words or the lyrics? <laughs> <laughs> We've got Guy Drake on for one more set on the Wall of Power Radio Hour. Stick around. Wall of Power Radio Hour. Welcome back to the last set of the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This show is sponsored by my good friends at the School of Rock Eden Prairie. Take some lessons, become a rock star over the summer. I might even play with you at some point. We've got Guy Drake on from Johnson and Drake. We are going to play a song at the end of this set that has never been heard before except by the people that played it. The bass player who went on to play with James Taylor for years. We'll talk about that. But we'll uh, we'll go back in time a little bit, Guy. When did uh, Johnson and Drake break up? Who broke it up, and why did it break up? Well, we actually we never actually broke up um, after the plane. The plane crash was hard on us, you know. Oh yeah, we're we're twenty one years old. And we've just lost not only um, you know Jim Croce and Maury Mulizer, but our good friend Kenny. And um, and our what happened was that our all of our management company, which was really entwined in that whole project and um, everybody else we were working with everybody just imploded yeah right understandably it just, so. the entire thing just imploded you couldn't even get anyone to return a phone call to you you know hmm. what I mean and so we um, we're, we're, we're still writing and we're still recording but there's no touring there's no there, there's, 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 there's nothing going on you know, the business is just ground to a screeching halt while everybody deals with this unimaginable catastrophe, you know. 
And, um, and so we ended up, both of us just sort of ended up going and getting other gigs. <laughs> yeah. And Tom, Tom ended up becoming like this music, uh, software superstar for a program that's used everywhere in the world called Finale. He and I, we actually started off working on that together and then he stayed with it. And I, um, and then I was with Dale Carnegie for 40 years. Wow. So we, you know, we, we, um, we had spent a lot of years on the road in rock and roll. And I don't have to explain to you, Paul, that that's a hand to mouth yeah. existence. It's feast or famine, you know? And, and, uh, and so we would, sometimes we'd have a whole bunch of money. And when does that, let, I can I ask you, when does the feast come in? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, right. You're, you're, you're actually right. It's like dog food or family. Yeah. You know, right. Right. Like <laughs> but anyway, we, um, um, but it was just mostly, uh, us and our wives and, Everybody just wanting, you know, go get a regular job, you know. And then for both of us, those jobs really worked out. Mm. Tom was with Finale his entire career, and I was with Dale Carnegie my entire career. You know, so it, it, it just, so we ended up just, you know, doing the same thing that everybody else does. Get a job, raise a family, buy a house. You know, right. and then we just then we and then we kind of both sort of that ended around the same time. We we're kind of retiring around the same time, and and we circled back, and this whole Johnson and Drake rebirth thing occurred. What so a fun, really cool. what a phenomenal story and circle. Now we've got just a few minutes left, Guy Drake, but tell us about the song, the source, which we will be making the worldwide debut tonight on the Wall of Power Radio Hour. And let's talk about that great, that great bass player, Jimmy Johnson. Right. Well, we would, we had started, you know, we were touring with Jimmy Johnson and Bill Berg, who are two just geniuses at their instrument. And they were so uh, technically proficient. We started writing songs that were just more complex and, we we were just having fun with it, you know. We'd be out in the road and we're just writing a whole new album and this song and and at the same time we're going through all of this stuff with our record labels, right. you know, which which is like uh, it, it, and so this is really a song about talking to your record label and how they pass the buck right back to you, even though you're saying I've just given you like. 17 recordings and it's time for you to release them, you know? Yeah, right. Uh, uh, but it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's the record label coming back to you and saying, no, 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 you're the source. You have to do it, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, But in, what, what, what's fun to listen to in this song is just the incredibly intricate drumming and, and bass playing by Jimmy, Jimmy uh, Bill Berg and Jimmy Johnson, respectively. And, well, tell us, guys. I, I talked to Jimmy Johnson not about a year ago, and he said, wow, I, he said, I play so simply now compared to them. And he's <laughs> playing with, and who's he been playing with for the last 40 or 50 years? James Taylor. There you go. Yep. I've heard of that guy. Yeah. <laughs> I've, yep. se I've seen Jimmy in, contest, uh, in concert with James Taylor, and the band is so good. Taylor is, you know, uh, a god, but Jimmy is so great. He's so solid. There's a wonderful YouTube video that just came out 
of Jimmy recording his uh, James Taylor's newest album, which is um, his first album of original songs in decades. And uh, and, he, and and James Taylor talks about just how much he trusts his band and how much he trusts Jimmy and. You know that it's so great to be in the studio with those guys because they've been playing together, like you say, for like forty years. But I just want you to know, Bob Dylan, that was our rhythm section, okay? I'm loving the track. (laughs) And James Taylor, that's our bass player that you're using. I'm having. I just want a little bit of credit for that. I'm having drinks with Bob this weekend. I'll let him know. Uh, Yeah, will (laughs) you? So, Guy Drake, 20 seconds. So, The Source is coming out on the next release, correct? Yes, we're releasing a brand new album that was recorded in 1975 called Migration. And we're releasing it next month. And this is uh, one of the songs off of that album, The Source. Thanks, Guy Drake. This has been really enjoyable. Have a wonderful weekend. Give my best to Nan, and I will look forward to meeting your partner, Tom Johnson, here soon. You too. I'll see you at church tomorrow. Sounds good, brother. Both services. (laughs) Um, All right, and find out more about Johnson & Drake at johnsonanddrake.com. Thanks, Guy. Thank you, Paul. He sat across the table from us, looking us right in the eye. He said you won't start your career without some fear I was too scared to reply We have watched you work now, boys And the spark that we can see He said if you believe in yourself Everything else is just maturity He said you are the source, the energy source Thanks for listening to the Wall and Power Radio Hour. The show was produced by Paul Metza, engineered by Patrick William, and it was brought to you by one of our great sponsors, the School of Rock in Eden Prairie. We'd like to thank our guest, Guy Drake. Find more of the music of Johnson & Drake at johnsonanddrake.com. You can follow me at paulmetza.com. We hope the spring is treating you well. Fishing season starts today. And like my dad used to tell me, remember to be kind and make someone happy.